y'all see this guy right here? This is what my hair looked like in 1973. <laughs> I am not lying. When I started ETBU, this is him right here. Amen. Mine was a little redder, but this is him right here. God bless you. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Man. Be turning, if you would, to the fifth chapter of Joshua. We're in Joshua. Been, been teaching about victory and how God grants victory. Boy, what a blessing ETBU singers were today. I mean, praise the Lord. Amen. And uh, what a blessing Colin is. He's always a blessing, and we praise the Lord for him. And sometime, guys, I'll be honest with you, in the next 15 years, we're going to lose him. Uh, but, but, you know, we've got a little while, all right? Uh, another word for revival, Colin, is getting it in high gear. Getting in high gear. I learned to drive a 53 Chevrolet truck back in the 50s. And it, I learned to drive it in the pasture and out on the farm and everything. And you never got past second gear. I mean, that's all you ever needed. You didn't need, I didn't even know where high gear was. Uh, and, and you younger guys will have no idea about that uh, three on the column. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, uh, I was always in first gear, second gear, and that was it. But I remember the first time we went to town to get some feed, and Daddy said, you, you can drive. I was about nine years old, maybe ten at the most. And I had that thing wound up in first, and I got it in second, and Daddy kept saying, throw it in high gear, throw it in high gear. I said, I don't know where high gear is. What is high gear? And it's, you know, it's straight down. Buddy, when you get that thing in high gear, you better be ready. Because there's a whole different volume of movement when that thing hits high gear. And uh, I think about uh, the June the 6th, 1944, was a very important day for our country and for this world. That's what we call D-Day. There were 5,000 ships involved in D-Day. There were 11,000 airplanes involved in D-Day. And over 150,000 men involved in D-Day. Now, it took several years to plan D-Day. You see, Eisenhower knew that in order to have occupation and domination, there had to first of all be preparation. And so they prepared. I don't know if Eisenhower learned how to do that at West Point or if he learned how to do that in Sunday school, talking about the Battle of Jericho. Now, they used different weapons. understand that. The, the, the weapons were not the same. But it's literally going to be a glorious victory. We're going to get to it in a couple of weeks or so. Uh, God has in his sovereignty prepared Jericho for the picking. Now God needs to prepare the pickers for Jericho. And he's in the planning situation here. Victory is paid for by preparation. No high school team. We, we were pulling, I was pulling last night for a great, anybody here from Grapeland? Is Robert here? There's Robert, and I know uh, Sandra Londra. Grapeland played Shelbyville last night in basketball, and uh, the winner goes to the UIL to the, the state championship, and we were pulling for Grapeland, and my, I called my brother, and he said, well, it don't look good. I said, what do you mean it don't look good? Man, this is the best team, you know, we've got. And he said, well, it's 32 to 6 at the half. Well, <laughs> They, they did go back out and play, but, 
But I want to tell you, a high school team doesn't stand a chance of being in the victor circle if, first of all, they've not prepared to get there. You don't just go out. A lot of you think all this music here, uh, Brother Aaron just comes up on Sunday morning, because that's how some of y'all were raised. You get to the church, and some old boy calls out, well, number 33, we haven't done that in a while, and number 45. No, no, no. There's a lot of preparation goes on in this. God has prepared Joshua 5, beginning in verse 1. Would you rise with me in honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word? The Bible says, Joshua 5, 1, It came to pass, when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel, until we were passed over, that their heart melted. Neither was there spirit in them any more because of the children of Israel. At that time, the Lord said unto Joshua, Make these sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. Then look down, if you would, at verse 9. The Lord said unto Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you. Wherefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal unto this day. And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the fourteenth day of the month at even in the plains of Jericho. And they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn in the selfsame day. Verse 12, the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna any more, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. Father, thank you again today. How we've been blessed in the music. What an encouragement and a blessing. I pray your Holy Spirit would continue to work any way he so desires. Lord, from the very first song, Lord, everything we do is in vain unless you're in this place today. So, God, we're calling on you, pleading with you to have your way in every heart in this building. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Israel finds itself now on the uh, Canaan side of Jordan. And this battle that they're fixing to have, the Jericho battle, is going to be known for all of history. Kids will be singing about it. Joshua uh, fought the battle of Jericho. They'll be pumped up on cherry Kool-Aid down in the nursery and have goldfish, and they'll be marching around the walls of Jericho. It'll be a continual thing. Jericho had to think that they've got plenty of time to prepare. They're looking out there, and here comes Joshua. Here comes the children of Israel. There's one big problem, though. The Jordan River is in the flood stage. And they know it's going to be a while before the flood stage goes down. So they've got plenty of time. They're in no hurry. There's only one problem with that. 
God decided to heap the waters of the Jordan River up and they came through that day on dry ground. See, God can do things like that. We, we, we can't. I, I thought this would be a great time for a sneak attack. We just celebrated Texas Independence Day. Truth be known, that's, what, that's how we got our independence. We had a sneak attack, an ambush, and Texas got victory. I think this would be a wonderful time for a sneak attack. They're thinking we got plenty of time because the Jordan River is in flood stage, and now all of a sudden they're on the other side. Why not attack them now? Why not put them in high gear right now? God said, no, no, I'm going to delay you. Not because Jericho wasn't ready, because Israel was not ready. Spiritual preparation is always more important than military preparation. Being right with God is more important than your intellect. It's more important than your skill. It's more important than your experience. You are better off facing the enemy head on when they know you're coming in the presence of God than facing them in a sneak attack without the presence of God. You're better off. So God delayed uh, them. He, he, he needs to do something in the lives. See, here's the deal. God is not nearly as interested in doing a work for us or with us or through us as he is doing a work in us. He's interested in, in us, making us more like Christ in these days ahead. To prepare them for battle, there are four events that happen here in Joshua 5, and I'll go through them quickly. We've got a lot to do today, so we will go through them quickly, I promise. The first thing is this, in verse 1. Joshua realizes he's not in charge. He's not in charge. Now, I know a lot of you would love to be in charge. A lot of you would like to pastor this church. You tell me how to do it all the time. <laughs> but I want to tell you, I'll be honest with you. I long for the day when I'm not pastoring this church. When I can sit out here and say, boy, he should have done this. He shouldn't have done that. I want to tell you, when someone says, you're not in charge, I want to tell you right now, there ought to be a load lifted off of us. See, Joshua was not in charge. He thought all along he was in charge. But verse 1 says, look, Joshua, they're not afraid of you. Nobody's saying there's Joshua was a great leader. Nobody's saying Caleb was second in command. Nobody's saying Israel had put together a great army. What they found was, what they heard was, that uh, they heard the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan of Israel until we were passed over, that their heart melted. He's saying, Joshua, let me tell you something, big boy. They're not afraid of you. They're afraid of me because you're with me. God's in charge. He's reminding Joshua that he's in charge. It's the same principle if you're walking down a country road and you see a turtle on a fence post. I mean, you may not know about turtles. You don't know that there's 1,500 different kinds of turtles and all of that. But there's one thing you can be sure of. He didn't get up there by himself. You can know that. And what God is telling Joshua is, Joshua, you didn't get here by yourself. Moses was a great man, tremendous man. But I want to tell you something, Moses couldn't open the Red Sea. God did. Joshua was a great man. He's a great leader, tremendous leader. But Joshua couldn't. Listen, you can heap up hay, you can heap up wheat, but you, you can't heap up water. God's the one that did that. 
God opened up the Red Sea. And he's reminding Joshua of that, let's see, second or third verse of Amazing Grace. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has brought me thus safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. I just want to interject here. If you... If you're visiting here, I, I've had surgery and I hurt the other arm. And I, I am, seriously, the pain medicine is what kind of throws me a little bit loop. But I, I can see all 3,000 of you all right here. I have no problem whatsoever. I can see you, all right? God is reminding our, uh, Joshua and all of Israel that I'm in charge here. If you, if you go back to, Israel two, we don't, uh, to Joshua 2, we don't have time, but harlot Rahab is hiding the guys up on her rooftop. And they're there sneaking in uh, to, to survey the, the land and everything. And she's hiding them there. And I want to tell you, she doesn't say anything about, about how Joshua was a great general or any of that. She said, the thing that scares the living daylights out of us is that your God, we've heard he parted the Red Sea. We heard your God parted the Jordan River. And I want to tell you, we're going to be butter in his hands. He, we, we're, we're, we're defeated. We don't have a chance. I want to tell you, listen now, I don't, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but you're not that smart. You're really not. And I don't want to wrinkle your nose, but you're not that gifted. You've gotten where you are because of God. And the only way we're going to continue and throw this thing in high gear is to continue to give the glory to God. I, I shared this many years ago, I think, but boy, 1988 was a tough year uh, in, in my ministry. Becky and I we left the music ministry. If I could have ever found a pastor like Brother Aaron did, I'd still be leading music now. <laughs> I just never could find one. <laughs> so in the mid-85, you think I'm joking, but I'm not joking. <laughs> in the mid-80s, Becky and I, I and then Becky agreed to follow. And we went to this little church with 17 people. Four of them was our family. I had this crazy idea that if a man would get up and preach the truth, the Word of God, people would flock there. That's not true. People want to hear the Word of God preached as long as it doesn't pertain to them. As long as I'm slinging it out on other people that are not here, you'll shout amen. But boy, when we get close, fly close to the corn here, suddenly people get quiet. Things were not going very well. They, they were going, but they weren't going well. And uh, I was at the evangelism conference in Fort Worth, Texas. I was kneeling down front, and Jim and Kelly Walsh came and prayed with me there. Went back to my motel room. I got on my knees on the bed, by the bed there. And I said, Lord, I, I don't understand this. All I have ever wanted to do was build a church for you. That's all I've ever wanted to do. And it's just like the Lord sitting on that bed said, uh, I'm not interested in building a church. Now, if you don't think that won't throw a Baptist preacher for a loop, I mean, our whole denomination is geared up around church growth. 
If you can't grow a church, you're in bad shape. And I prayed more. It got to be 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning. I prayed more, and I said, well, Lord, okay. All I'm interested in is seeing people saved. That's, that's, I mean, that's good. God's still sitting on that bed, said, I'm not interested in seeing anybody saved. I'm laying flat down on my face with my nose in the carpet. And I'd have gone lower if I could have, but it was concrete, and you can't dig out of that. I said, Lord, all I want to do is glorify Jesus. And the Lord said, oh, well, if you're going to glorify my son, I'll help you build a church. If you're going to glorify my son, I'll help you lead people to him. But it can only be for the glory of God. That's it. Man doesn't have any glory in it. It's only God getting the glory. Don't be like the woodpecker that was pecking on that tree as hard as he could and lightning hit that thing and split it right down the middle and he flew over to some of his friends and said, y'all see what I just did? <laughs> don't, don't, don't be like that. Joshua, you're not in charge. That's the first thing we need to understand this morning. We're not in control. We're not in charge. Second thing, though, that's evident here. And this is a delicate situation. I'm going to speak in general terms. Don't, 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 don't just, you know. I know some of you are thinking, no time. What are you going to say? But, but there's a removal of the flesh. It's a thing called circumcision. <laughs> now, I want to just be honest with you. If I'm the general of an army, and I've got Jericho there, I'm not sure I'm going to incapacitate my whole army. I'm not sure, but that's exactly what God said to do. He said in verses 2 through 3, you take and you get you some knives and you cut the skin. And all that refers back to Genesis 17 because Abraham made a covenant with God. Sarah had already went around and said, hey, uh, we're going to have to help God out on this. Ishmael was born. And, and then she said, this is your fault, Abraham. Galatians tells us that we either do the work of God by faith or we do the work of God in the flesh. It's the same thing here. You're either following God in the flesh or you're following God by faith. And God had already told Abraham, this is not going to be a fleshly matter. It's a faith matter. Abraham's 99, Sarah's 90. <laughs> and yet God did what he said he'd do. Joshua, he's saying you do away with human reasoning. Now, there's consequences of sin that's involved in verses 4 through 7. Because, see, 40 years before, every one of those men had been circumcised. But after those men had died, none of these new men had been circumcised. You say, how do you know that? Well, and just like I know there was no uh, uh, Passover during the wilderness, because the instruction was that no uncircumcised man could participate in the Passover. Hmm. And I think he's saying, you guys remember 40 years ago down at Kadesh Barnea? And I told you the land was already yours, but you sent a committee over there. Two of them came back with a different spirit. Ten of them said, oh, it's everything they said, but we can't do it. Disbelief. Rebellion. Can't do it. And so for 40 years, they've wandered in the wilderness 
until every one of those had died. Then there's a cost of submission. Young people, don't let people tell you that it don't cost anything to serve Jesus. That's hogwash. It'll cost you dearly to serve the Lord. There'll be times if you're serving the Lord that you're going to be the only one that's going to stand up in the middle of the group. Now, I'm not talking about being ugly. I'm not talking about taking a 30-pound King James Bible to school. I'm just talking about in the world that we live today, there are going to be times when men around the cooler at the job are going to be telling filthy jokes and, and you're the only one that has the option to walk off and not be there. I can't help but think that they couldn't kind of rattle it in their mind. It goes back. Man, I don't have time for this. but It goes back to, remember uh, Rachel? Jacob's daughter got abused and raped. And they said, let's, let, let, let's go make an offer and, and we're going to take her and we're going to marry her. Simeon and, uh, I forgot the other brother's name, Simeon, you know, in something. They said, hey, we got a better idea. Why don't you all just all get circumcised and, and we'll, all, we'll all just intermingle and just praise the Lord together. And so they did. And then while they were circumcised, waiting to heal up, Simeon and, I thought I uh, Levi. Simeon and Levi went in the camp, killed every one of them at Shechem. Wiped them out. Now, I can't help but think somebody hadn't heard that story here. And said, well, point of order, preacher. Point of order. Let's stop now. Why don't we just circumcise half of the, of the army? And we keep the other half in case they come. We'll have somebody to fight. Joshua said, that's not what God said. God says, we're going to circumcise everybody. Wow. <laughs> he asked Joshua to do the unthinkable. In the shadows of the enemy, in order to become vulnerable to the will of God, Joshua obeyed. Listen, I just want to encourage you. Don't be stiff-necked, folks. Man, when you know what God wants you to do, don't you stand there and argue with him and say, God, I, I know what you said, but I don't. If I hear one more person say that, I'm going to spit. I know what the Bible says, but I tell you what, I'm going to. Then go on and live in rebellion. But God's not going to bless you. Go on and do what you want to do, but you're not going to be following God. It's better to have a soft heart than a sharp sword. So God's in control. Put away the sin. Put away the flesh. And then the third thing in verse 10. He speaks of our freedom. Remember there's no record of them having a Passover in the wilderness. This is 40 years later. God calls them back to that table. Somebody had to sit down with them. And say look this is what the Passover means. We were in bondage in Egypt. And yet God delivered us. He gave us freedom. This is what the Passover means. When we partake of this Passover, we're, we're remembering what Christ has already done for us and what he's doing now. Us old folk will remember that in a song that says, In loving kindness, Jesus came, my soul in mercy to reclaim. And from the depths of sin and shame, through grace, he lifted me. Beautiful old song. But if you don't like old songs, maybe you could 
remembered Tommy Walker's version. I still remember the day you saved me. Maybe you can hear Randall and Linda singing that. The day I heard you call out my name, you said you'd love me, you'd never leave me, and I've never been the same. We will remember the works of your hand. Somebody's got to tell them about freedom. Folks, somebody's got to tell your children about it, your grandchildren about it, your neighbors about it. I was up. I want to commend you because you've done a marvelous job this week of calling our city council and emailing hundreds, even thousands of calls have been made. And as far as I know, I haven't got the final result, but as far as I know, all of y'all have been Christian and very nice. And I appreciate that. That's what I told you to do. I really appreciate that. I was sitting on the back porch this morning I'm going to tell you, I'm going to move that other rocking chair off the porch because God sits down in that thing, and every time he does, I get in trouble. <laughs> On that back porch this morning, God said, uh, let me ask you something, Pastor. You rallied your people. Boy, you did good. Wonder if you rallied them as much on Easter to call their friends and their family and the people that needed Jesus and said, you, you got to come. You, you got to come hear about a God who became man and left heaven in all of its glory and came and was born here in a manger and lived and he was mocked and he was spat upon, he was lied about, he was crucified on a cross and then they buried him in a tomb. But on the third day he arose! And he ascended back into heaven and he's coming back. you got to come here about that. I wonder if we made 2,000 phone calls if anybody would be interested in that. I'm just saying. God's in control. Put away sin. Remember our freedom. Let me give you the last thing here. Verses 13 through 15. He recognizes he's not alone. Boy, that'll make a backslidden Baptist want to shout. He recognizes he's not alone. He's walking out there near the walls of Jericho and now listen, he don't know the battle plan yet. God hadn't given him the battle plan. He don't know any of that yet. I imagine he's probably trying to walk out there and figure out a battle plan and think about what's best to do and when it's best to do it and, and whatever. And all of a sudden, here's a man showing up with a sword drawn. He said, hey, hark, who goes there? Are you for us or are you for the adversary? Now the answer is overwhelming. Listen to me, not because of what he said, but because of who said it. See, I believe that this is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you don't have to believe that. You can be wrong if you want to. But Jesus appears, the incarnate Christ appears many times in the Old Testament. See, he didn't begin when the Old Testament was born. He was from beginning to the end. There's never been a start of him. There's never been an end of him. Back in Genesis 18, Abraham talked with him. In Genesis 28, 
Here's a fiasco. Jacob, the Bible said, wrestled with a man. And then the Bible says in the same passage, he wrestled with God. How do you wrestle with a man and you wrestle with God? Well, you wrestle with the God-man. It's Jesus. And so the, what he said is not as important as who said it. Daniel 3, my goodness, how can we forget that? That The king threw in three of them, and he said, good grief. I threw in three, now there's four of them in there, and one of them looks like the Son of God. <laughs> the phrase, a captain of the host of the Lord, that refers to the captain of the angels. And then he doesn't answer Joshua's question. Somebody asked Abraham Lincoln during the Civil War, do you believe God's on our side? Lincoln replied to him, the better question is, are we on God's side? That's what we better be sure of. And then fourthly, I think this is Jesus because Joshua is not rebuked for what he does in verse 14. The Bible says he fell down and began to worship. When you fall down to the angels anywhere in the Bible and you begin to worship, they say, hey, get up. We're not the one you need to worship. But no one tells him to get up here because it's Jesus. And then the language is similar to the burning bush with Moses. And then Joshua 1.5, God said, Joshua, I'm going to be with you. Just like I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. I'll not fall. I'll not fail you. Now there's... The, the, the question is, what, what is Joshua doing out there? And then the other question is, what, what's Jesus doing out there? What's Jesus? Is he, it's some say he's drawing a battle plan. Well, that can't be Jesus then because Joshua didn't fight the battle. The Lord fought the battle. He's wielding an unsheathed sword, verse 13 says. Why would Jesus be here with his sword drawn? Now, I can't be dogmatic. And I can't be positive, but I believe my explanation will be as good as yours. And right now, I'm the one preaching the sermon. So we're going to hear mine. <laughs> you know why I think Jesus was there with that sword drawn? Because he had some faithful folk who were laying right over here in a camp that were incapacitated, that could not fight for themselves. And so the Lord himself is watching over them. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been to the place where you're so weary that you just laid down and you say, I can't go no more? Have you ever been there when you were so worn out? Maybe your mind was cluttered. Maybe you're physically just down. You felt useless. And, and, and you just say, look, I can't go no more. Aren't you thankful the Lord promised to never leave us nor forsake us? <laughs> when we can't even pray for ourselves, he said he would pray for us. I think this is one reason that the king of Jericho couldn't seize the opportunity to come in there and kill them all. Because the Lord is standing there. Now, there's no safer place to be than in the center of God's will. God's promised. He didn't just send an angel. He didn't just send a host. He sent the captain of the host, Jesus. And then, closing, Joshua asked an interesting question. 
He said, sir, do you, do you have any instruction for me? I mean, maybe Joshua was saying, yeah, I want you to get the troops and line them up in lines of four or line them up. I want you to do revelry at about 6.30 in the morning. And, you know, and I, he didn't say. He said, sir, do you, do you have any instructions for me? He said, I do. He said, I do. He said, take those sandals off your feet because where you're standing is holy ground holy ground <laughs> hallelujah are you ready to stand on holy ground there's some of you this morning the number one thing you think what you need is a better job you think what you need is a different wife or a different husband you think what you need would be just to find a different group of friends or, or to buy a new car or get out of the neighborhood you're in but I want to tell you this morning, what you need more than anything else is the saving power of Jesus Christ. You need to be saved today. If you've never professed Jesus as your personal Savior, today is the day of salvation. You need this very day to be saved. I know there's a lot of folk here that are saved. My question to you is, are you ready to throw it in high gear? See, the real truth of it, some of us are asking this question, how, how can I stand for the Lord in a wicked, evil world that we live in? How, how, how can I raise my children to follow Christ when every video game out there has got some kind of vulgarity or some kind of uh, shooting and killing and, and, and you know we're supposed to be teaching our children and that's all that's out there that's what the world teaches how can I be a witness in this world today I just remind you that it's not going to be you it's going to be Christ in you and you know how you can do that because he's alive because he lives if he was dead you couldn't do that You'd have no power whatsoever. But I got some good news for you this morning. Jesus is alive. He'll meet you where you are. If you've got needs, he'll meet those needs. Would you come to him? Bow, bow your head, please. Our musicians get ready. Let me just encourage you. Christians, you ought to be the very ones that lead the way. Some of you in this place just need to come down here and and just admit to the Lord, there was a day in your life when you were running in high gear for Jesus. But the cares of the world and all the activities, and you've, you've, you've shifted down to second gear. Some of you shifted down to first gear. You're just crawling along. But today, today, you're going to take your wife or your children or come by yourself by faith and say, Lord, I want to be serving you in high gear. I, I don't want to waste my time. I believe Jesus is coming soon and I don't want to waste my time. I want it to count for the glory of God. Not what I do because I'm nobody, but you're everything. And I want the glory of God to count. Christian, you need to be leading the way. When we say amen, you need to be leading the way. Now God, this is your church, your, your people. This is your invitation. We'd ask you, Lord Jesus, to have your sweet way.
In your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with